In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come Holy Spirit, enlighten our minds and our hearts. Lead us into the fullness of the truth. Lead us to Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Help us to conform our hearts with his. We pray this through the intercession of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Maximilian Kolbe, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, our eighth and final talk. This one's entitled, The Apostolic Life, Offerings one, Offering One's Life to God. So the apostolic life, you can put in parentheses, offering one's life to God. That is what is going to make us fruitful. That is evangelization. That is what is going to allow us to bring others to Christ. This offering of ourself to the Father through Christ. John chapter 4, the woman at the well. Let's reflect on that again. And how this, how Jesus leads this woman and how he leads us to the way of the heart. The way of understanding his heart, of entering into our heart, so that we can with him offer our life to God the Father with him. And how this is going to be where fruitfulness comes in our life. We're meant to be fruitful. Our name of grace, our charisms, we're here to receive love, to give love. We're here as the fruit of God's love, fruit of our parents' love, and we're meant to give back love, back to God and back to our brothers and sisters in this world. So at the, women, the woman at the well, we see that she asked Jesus a question. She asks, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus, as usual, doesn't give a direct answer. And if you look at that whole dialogue, if you, have a, if you have a chance, go back and read that dialogue with the Samaritan woman and Jesus and the interaction. Jesus is trying to speak to her heart. The last thing that he wants with this woman and that he wants with us is to give us a conceptual answer, something that we are going to know and possess. That will, that will lead us into barriers, walls with other people. The Samaritan woman, she, uh, she's from a culture that uh, there's antagonism between the Jews and the Samaritans. It's just ingrained in her, in her body, in her mind. Jesus does not want to reinforce that even if it's right, even if there's things that are just, they've been unjustly treated, and he can say all kinds of things about the Samaritans that are good and that might open her heart. No, 
He's going to lead her directly to the heart of the matter. This worshipping the Father in spirit and in truth. Leading her to this union with God. And leading her to see that He is the Messiah. He is the one who is to come. He is here in front of her. The kingdom of God is in her midst. The kingdom of God is within her. Christ is going to open up that treasure through this dialogue. He wants her to enter into the mystery. And she will not understand fully. She will deepen what has been said throughout the rest of her life. But for now, she's been touched. She has been awakened. The veil is dropped, and what does she do? She goes into town and tells everybody about Christ. And they come to Jesus, and Jesus spends time in that Samaritan town. That's what it is to evangelize. That's what it is to be an apostle, the one who is sent. We're sent because we've touched something of the mystery. We don't fully understand. We're going to come to it by various angles and experience, efforts, trial and error with time. That's going to deepen. But for now, we touch it, and so we go out. We become apostles. That's why it's so crucial for us to continually meditate on Scripture day and night. The wise man, the wise woman, the one who meditates on scripture, reflects. This allows us, this disposes us to have those encounters over and over again, to deepen this mystery, deepen the experience with Christ. It's from there, our apostolic life becomes rich and it grows. Everything can be touched by Christ in our life. There's no part of our soul, our body, our mind, our spirit that is not touched by Christ. Fathers of the church would stress that in Christ there's nothing profane. And so everything in our life can also become sacred. Every activity can be a type of prayer offered to the Father. Yes, even as you sleep at night. So there's this interior and the exterior, the interior prayer, the worship, the offering of our life to the Father. And then we go out into the world, the apostolic life. And again, that's why spiritual discernment is so crucial. First of all, how Christ, how God is touching us on the inside, what comes from Him, what comes from the angel of light, Lucifer, what comes from ourself. And a good discernment will allow us to see where the gold is, where the jewels are, and we put that in a treasure chest, which is our heart, our whole the being, the center of our being. We can possess, we possess that. That is the mystical life. That is the life we won't be able to possess these jewels, this gold, in a way that's just for us, but it's a, it's a richness, it's a life that is ever flowing. It's that fountain. It continually gives us life. 
And the more we can have that taste that this is from God, that confidence that, yes, this comes from him, the more surely we can lock, lock that up in ourself, in our heart, and live from that. And the more we can be purified of human elements that we've locked up in our heart, and especially to be purified and to renounce those lies that have come from others and that come from the evil one, that speak about how we are not worthy, uh, all the different lies that we've taken in over the years. This discernment will help us sift out the gold and treasure those things that are that are worth it. A deeper and deeper synergy with God. This synergy, this doing the will of the God, obeying his commandments, and then going out into the world, yes, we become apostles, and we enter into this evangelization. The term new evangelization has been coming up quite a bit since John Paul II. And another thing we can say about the new evangelization, an angle we can speak about that, is that yes, it's new because God is always new. His grace renews us every day. It's eternal and always new. So the way we go out and speak to others, the way we go out and live our faith, is this new evangelization. To be a missionary disciple or a missionary apostle is to allow Christ to pass through you to enter the hearts of others. The evangelizer is the one who sees how God has prepared the hearts of the people for the gospel. All cultures, all people, there are certain experiences in life, there are certain things that are passed on from generation to generation, that in God's providence and his government, plant seeds in the hearts of people, in the hearts of communities, in the hearts of cultures, in the hearts of nations. With time, we become more sensible to these things and we see the openings. And so that can be with our kids at home. That can be with our spouse. That can be with the brothers that we live with, the sisters that we live with. There are certain openings and throughout the day that we're able to sense. This is an opening for a smile, for a kind word. This is the time, yes, where they're open, where we can actually talk frankly about something that's difficult or something that's weighing on you. You don't want to have that time where things are tense to talk about it. Now you wait for the right time. When we speak of Jesus and speak of him explicitly, yes, prayer pours into that but also such a sensitivity to the person and where they're at and what their experiences in life are and what they are. 
And as we get to know people, we start to sense, yes, here's where the seeds of God's grace have been planted. Oh, they had this experience in childhood. Oh, they love this activity. Why do they love that? What's, what is it that draws them? These different elements help us to recognize and to take advantage of those opportunities. So again, remember always that it's the fruitfulness, the effectiveness of our life is how much we're conformed to Christ. The offering of our life to the Father with Christ. A person who is ignorant, who may not be educated, if they are holy, if they are conformed to Christ, they are more effective, I would say even infinitely more so effective than somebody who is learned. Learned and not holy. <laughs> and we can take that a step further. Imagine, imagine a bishop, a bishop of the church, who is learned, even dynamic, who's got a personality that, that is really shining. And he can even be pertinable to the people. But if he's doing all this in a sort of human way, and that connection with Christ is, is not the main source of his apostolate, but through maybe deception or through bad formation, through his own maybe laziness, whatever the reason is or the combination of these reasons, that he's, going, he's working on a human way. He's kind of depending on his own person, on his own personality. And he sees things changing and he sees movements um, so there's a lot of things that kind of are satisfying on that level. The person who does not have the same personality, doesn't have any position in the church, but is holy, offering their life to God the Father through a prayerful obedience and a love is infinitely more fruitful than this bishop. Always remember that, no matter where we're at, no matter what position we have, in the end, it's always about that conformity with Christ. Now, a word on intercessory prayer and the apostolic life. This was something I was really convicted of during, during my time of retreat. Been trying to put it into practice since. That our prayer life should be filled with apostolic prayer. So praying for the people that we come in contact with every day. And praying for the, the movements and the apostolates that we're in. So for me, that's a lot of things as a priest. 
I should be praying every day for the youth group, for our core members, for the staff members at the university and at the parish, for Katsak, for the university students, for all the parishioners, etc. I should be praying also for those who are my superiors, who give spiritual direction, confessors, and also those who I spiritually accompany in those ways as well. And there's a cyclical effect there. The, when we pray for these people, it gives us more desire, more fire to be holy ourselves, to offer our life to God for that and for, for their holiness, their sanctification. All right, I want to shift gears here. This wasn't from our retreat, but this is um, something that I've been reflecting on, meditating on these last few weeks, and I thought it was very fitting as we come to the great solemnity of the Assumption of Mary. We celebrate that on Sunday here in New Zealand. It'll be Monday in other parts of the world. Mary, obviously, is the most fruitful apostle there is and ever will be. And I want to start with a meditation here from this Jean Petit, this journal of the soul of a priest that I spoke about, a book called Descending Fire. And this is beautiful. This is, this is, this is lovely. The way he puts it, this, the heart of Mary, the heart of Christ. And this is the sanctuary. This is the opening. This is the source. And this is where we receive and this is where we'll be able to give. So this is what he journaled. Let us contemplate the summit of the cascades of fire. Holy Spirit, the mutual love between Father and the Word, who himself is God, the God of love and the center of love, the boundless exchange of love that unites the Father and the sons tends to communicate itself and to descend to the one who is the lowest. The more a soul is conscious of its utter weakness and accepts this for love of the Father, the more will the divine fire be inclined to pour itself out on that soul. Such is the flood tide that at first fills the vast emptiness. Pause there for a second. We'll come back to this meditation. First to dwell on this, this void, this openness where the Holy Spirit is able to descend and it's to be conscious of our utter weakness, our nothingness. Without God, we don't exist. Without God, 
we are going to wallow in our sin. The cooperation at the deepest level of our being, cooperation with God's grace, will come from that center of our being that is receiving the whispers the silent fire of the Holy Spirit that's poured into our heart. He goes on to say, but this descending fire does not go directly from the Holy Trinity to the soul. The incarnate word, God and man, as great as God and as small as man, possesses a heart that is the sanctuary of charity. Here's a prayer that he journaled. Heart of Jesus, sanctuary of descending love, pour out through the opening of your wound the torrents of your mercy on all wretched souls. That's beautiful. It's through the heart of Jesus. And when we are open, when we understand our littleness, our nothingness, our weakness, the infinite torrents, the infinite flood of God's love can be poured into our heart. And this is through the heart of Jesus. Now we say the heart of Jesus, the center of his person. And what happened to the heart of Jesus while he was on the cross? Jean Petit goes on the same. This heart is the necessary intermediary from God. Sorry. This heart is the necessary intermediary from which mercy flows. Merciful love coming from the Trinity finds its refuge in the heart of the man-God. And through the opening made by the lance, torrents of love are poured out upon souls. Through his wounded heart, God deigns to pour out upon, upon us the treasures of his merciful love. This fire descends only through the sanctuary of the incarnate word and through the immaculate heart of Mary. All right, so... The summit of revelation, we can say, is at the cross. And remember, Christ pours himself out totally, utterly, completely in love to the Father. He gives up his life and his last breath. He commends his spirit into the Father's hands. So he's dead. And then what happens after that? The side of Jesus is pierced by the lance. Who is the witness to that? It's all those at the cross. From the soldiers, to the holy women, to the apostle John, to Mary. Who took that in fully and utterly? 
is the one who is perfectly united to Christ. And from the moment of her conception, the Virgin Mary, who offered her life with Christ, but now her son is dead. And it's she who receives that piercing, the piercing of her lance, the piercing of the lance, the sword that will pierce her heart. So you see this fire of the Holy Spirit, the fire of this love is poured out upon the earth through the open heart of Christ. The center of his person. But it's through Mary, who is the witness and who took that fully into herself. And remember, she too is the spouse of the Holy Spirit perfectly united. She takes on the name of the Holy Spirit, the Immaculate Conception. She was immaculately conceived in time. The Holy Spirit is immaculately conceived from eternity. She takes on that name, the Immaculate Conception, perfectly united to the Holy Spirit. So that's why we can say the fire descends only through the sanctuary of the incarnate word, only through the heart of Christ and through the immaculate heart of Mary. So there is the source of our fruitfulness. There was the source of Mary's fruitfulness. Now, we'll end here just with a consideration on the assumption. The assumption is the end of Mary's earthly life. So she receives this revelation at the cross. She takes John as her mother. Uh, John as her mother. Uh, John takes on Mary as his mother. John is her son. And always... We know that that is, that is, for us, as disciples of Jesus, Mary is our mother. Mary is mother of the church. And so we take refuge in her. And she was there at Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit came through, came upon the apostles. And the church is born. Miracles happen. Preaching is, giving, is given power conversions, graces, miracles, the fire spreads. Mary is there with him. Mary lives her life. There's nothing we hear about her life from then on. And then tradition will tell us of the, the assumption of Mary, which comes from the fact, the reality of her immaculate conception. This is um, from... Bishop Jacques Benign Busset died in 1704. He's a French bishop, theologian, and a, pre a renowned preacher. 
And he says this. I'm sorry, before, before that quote, let's refresh ourselves here with Revelation 12, 1 to 2. The woman clothed with the sun. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. The woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, the crown of 12 stars. This Bishop Jacques Bousset says this, Consider then what brilliance and light will surround Mary, whose purity surpasses even that of the seraphim. There is not enough light in the world to trace even an image of it. All of nature's luminous bodies must be gathered together to do so. She has the moon at her feet and a crown of stars around her head. The sun penetrates her and surrounds her with its rays. She is a woman adorned with the sun. So much glory and brilliance is required to adorn this purest of women. Let us renew our consecration to the Immaculate Heart of Mary so that we may be totally united with the Sacred Heart of Jesus and offer our life to the glory of God the Father in the Holy Spirit so that we may be absolutely fruitful in our apostolic life. Here's our final meditation and the closing of our retreat. I thought it was a beautiful one that Father John of the Seneca gave us and I pass it on to you. A beautiful passage from the letter to the Philippians. So it's Philippians 3, verses 7 to 21. Philippians 3, 7 to 21. In your meditation, visit your death. St. Paul will speak about this pouring out of his life and this longing to be with Christ. So visit your death, visit your passage to eternal life. Put yourself in that last second, your last breath. And ask yourself, what kind of life would you have been happy to give to the Father, to our loving Father? What life do you want to give, do you want to offer to the Father? Speak to Jesus of this, because Jesus is your life. grace to ask is also to be a lover of the cross of Christ. And it's in the cross, it's in the offering that we will find the answer to these questions and deepen them. What is my life? How can I offer my life? Okay, well, Blessings to all of you. Father, Father John of the Seneca said at the beginning of his retreat that a good retreat is something that, uh, you know it's a good retreat when the preacher himself is fed by the retreat. So in that regards, at least, I can say it's a good retreat. 
this has been great to review the notes and to speak speak on these things. Let's end this together, giving thanks to God with the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud and the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to the help of his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his posterity forever. Pray that Almighty God may bless each one of you through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.